This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSE published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Dan, my paternity leave is officially ending next week. Which is, What's it going to be like to go back? Oh I mean, you've God. been away for a while. Yeah, I took the, the second quarter off to be with my daughter, which was great. And now, yeah, I'm coming back right uh, after, or actually right during midterms, which is very exciting. Uh, it'll be different. So I was looking to see where my substitute got. And interestingly, according to our textbook, he is right at the one section or the section where they start to discuss slavery. The section is entitled Abolition and Slavery. So let's just put this in perspective. It is currently January. That seems problematic, right? That seems a little problematic. I'll tell you what's more problematic. I um, have to work to help make sure our teachers are content prepared when they go into the schools at our institution. And I was reviewing the, the Texas standards for teachers and social studies and uh, no mention of the word slavery anywhere in the Texas standards. So, yeah, so <laughs> there seems to be like a huge deficit. When, and that's the teacher preparation standards, not the state standards. I don't know. I feel like if you're not hitting upon slavery, you're missing out on a huge part of history. Mm-hmm. When you're neglecting a lot of people's experiences, yeah. right? Then we tend to talk about if we're if we're not talking about slavery actively in the whole first semester, then we're negating the experiences of a huge number of people in American history and not understanding the implications of that. I mean, I don't know how you you can't teach U.S. history without talking about slavery. Even in the Declaration of Independence, one of the last one of the, you know, the list of grievances, one of the last things is Dunmore's Proclamation, in which Dunmore, who was the uh, royal governor of Virginia, he said any enslaved worker whose owner was rebelling, he would give them they, they would get their freedom if they fought for the British. The American colonists were so upset with that they put that in the Declaration of Independence. And if you don't talk about that. Like, you're just, you're just doing it wrong. Right, right. I think, you know, the the thing that makes people avoid it is I think a lot of teachers don't know how to talk about race. And you can't talk about slavery and race. Uh, I mean, those two are intertwined, especially in the United States, because of the racialization of slavery. And so I don't think people know how to do it. Did you have any strategies or approaches that helped you get into conversations about race with your students? So I actually recently, and I think we've talked about this, I went to the, at Mount Vernon, they had this really great uh, week program in which they talked about specifically slavery uh, pre-revolution. And it was really great to actually talk about what the living conditions were. They've done an amazing job talking about slave, the enslaved community within uh, Mount Vernon, which is, if you think about like, you know, you think about how great George Washington's manner is. Uh, if you don't, I mean, if you don't talk about the fact that it's run by enslaved workers, you're totally missing out. And so I feel like through that program, I was able to get a lot of really great resources and a really great perspective. 
just making sure that I'm not neglecting, you know, the enslaved workers, making sure I'm not neglecting that history, I think is kind of like right off the bat, I think is an important piece in something that I've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, inclusion is a huge part of the curriculum, right? What's included and what's not. Um, I, I just remember as a young white teacher that the first times I really started thinking about race in serious ways was college. And so I think about how quick the turnaround was then to being in a classroom and discussing issues of race. And I, I remember doing my best. I mean, I was had students in my sociology class, like my second year teaching uh, in this, you know, uh, school district in Oklahoma, reading James Baldwin and discussing race. But I remember all these times when I'm like, oh, I don't know how to get them to think about that, or I don't know what to do with this part of the conversation. Yeah. So, you know, what we need is some experts who've really been thinking about this issue. It could maybe come and give us some advice on, you know, how you teach about race and issues related to race in schools. Why? Because I'm fairly certain that we actually do have two guests right <laughs> here on our podcast. Why don't we invite them into the conversation? So we would like to welcome in uh, Christopher Martell and Kayleen Stevens. Welcome. Hi, Hi how's, how's it going? going? Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Great. How are the both of you in, in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, Correct. I believe you're in Massachusetts, too. I'm totally in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> the weather was frightening. It very did. cold. Very, very cold. Uh, I had to use a hairdryer on my pipes. <laughs> oh, my we had the, the bomb cyclone. Yeah. Yeah. I had a actually really enjoyable bike ride to work today, but enough, <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> it's all very envious. Well, Chris and Kayleen, can you tell us a little bit about your backgrounds in education? Sure. So I was a high school social studies teacher for 11 years. Um, and, and much of that time, I actually worked with Kayleen. We worked at the same high school, Framingham High School here in Massachusetts. We taught next door to each other. That's how we met. Our <laughs> classrooms were adjacent. We had a door in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I learned so, a lot from Chris. Um, and, and we co-taught. And we did. We co-taught as well. So two years or one? I thought it was three. Uh, maybe it's three. <laughs> and you ended up at the same, you ended up, both ended up at BU? Uh, yeah. So I uh, later became a professor at BU. I, I direct the social studies education program here. And uh, when I got the job here, Kayleen was actually kind of in the middle of her doctorate program here. And so she, uh, some of this research that we're going to talk about today, she actually um, was working with me as a doc student and I was a professor here. Uh, and then she's since become a doctor and she's now an adjunct professor for us teaching uh, one of our methods classes. So I still teach at the high school that Chris and I met at and teach at Framingham High School. I'm the department chair there, the socialized department chair. And at night, I adjunct at BU, and I just graduated a year and a half ago with my doctorate. So Chris was kind enough to take me under his wing, and we did a lot of research on this topic that you were just chit-chatting about being a race-conscious teacher. And it, it's been great. We've, I've learned a lot. Before we jump into talking about you guys' research, which I'm excited to talk about, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like co-teaching together? I think that's a topic a lot of educators are interested in and just, in my opinion, doesn't happen enough in U.S. schools. We're so isolated so often as teachers. Yeah, so the, the district that uh, I taught in that Kayleen teaches in is uh, one of the urban school districts in Massachusetts. It's a, a very racially diverse community, a former factory town. Uh, and in the in the 90s, it was uh, kind of an underperforming school district. And instead of doing the crazy things they normally do, like fire all the teachers <laughs> or bring in some canned curriculum, 
they actually instead kind of empowered uh, the teachers to kind of improve their practice through professional development. So we like routinely had um, like once a month, we had an hour where we could work as a team to kind of improve our practice. Uh, we basically had required co-teaching. So all of us every year would co-teach with another person. Um, and, you know, there there's some flexibility in who you co-teach with, but you don't always get to choose. And so it was a great way for us to kind of learn about other people's styles and, uh, and, and kind of learn from each other, share lesson plans and, and all that good stuff. So. so now as the department chair, I have done whatever I can in the era of smaller funding and decreased staff to keep co-teaching. And we've been able to keep it at our lower level classes, which has been great. And, and it's so beneficial to the students in the sense that you have two bodies in the room and you have one teacher that can work with an individual student and another teacher that can run an activity or lecture or work on that. It's really, really great. And it's not only beneficial to the student, but it's also beneficial to a new teacher who can come in and teach. Like as a department chair, I try to pair sometimes certain veteran teachers with new teachers. They learn a whole new teaching style and a bunch of different methods, which is really great. I had to defend co-teaching to our district because obviously it's costly. And I did a study to show that actually the classes that were co-taught, the kids did, I think it was about eight to 10 points higher on the mid-year exam based on the co-teaching. So there is data out there that shows that co-teaching really does benefit the students. This might be a, a great future episode, actually. So we might have you back on. If that's... <laughs> Can we come back? We get to come back? That would be fabulous. I love that idea of co-teaching and how it empowers teachers. I think so often we try to set standards and like push people towards standards instead of creating systems for success. And I think mm-hmm. co-teaching, ideas like lesson study, which is you know popular in countries like Japan because they got it from U.S., uh, originally, but no one here does it. And, you know, these ideas where teachers go into each other's classrooms and help each other learn because teachers are the experts. They're the ones who, you know, spend the time creating lessons every day, but we often don't, you know, construct education. About it is if you're a new teacher, you may have only had one or two experiences. You might have had your cooperating teacher where you did your observations and maybe your own schooling experience. Now you are co-teaching, you get a whole nother experience, plus at, at where we work, we get a, a, a mentor teacher. So I think the more teaching styles you can ex- are exposed to, you can sort of beg, borrow, and steal and, and figure out what works for you. So it does definitely empower new teachers. Yeah, and if I had one of you uh, as my co-teacher, then I would have done a better job probably of talking about race as we were referring to earlier. <laughs> And so first, let us congratulate you. you. The two of you were published in Theory and Research in Social Education, which is no small feat. And your article was titled Equity and Tolerance-Oriented Teachers, Approaches to Teaching Race in the Social Studies Classroom. Can the two of you tell us about your research? Yeah. So this particular study, we looked at, we, we essentially recruited through listservs and kind of a, a general call to all the teachers we knew in the area. And we, we were recruiting specifically um, race conscious teachers. So teachers who kind of center race in their classroom and, and feel that race is one of the, the main topics they want to uh, explore with their students. And we had, we ended up getting about 32 teachers say they'd be willing to be part of the study. From there, we kind of really wanted to look at teachers in different contexts. Um, Here in Massachusetts, at least in the eastern part of the state, 
mostly urban and suburban districts. So we want kind of a balance between the two. We want to look at white teachers and teachers of color. We want to look at experienced teachers and, and uh, newer teachers. And in the end, we, we had these 10 teachers who fit kind of those ranges of experiences. And, and we really just wanted to know what were their beliefs around race? And then how did they enact that in their practice? So Chris and I were very clear we didn't want to study how teachers were doing teaching about race poorly. So some of these 32 participants that volunteered to be part of our study, we would observe them. And then if we didn't feel like they fit the criteria, we would then not use them as participants. So we ended up, we honed in on 10 teachers that we thought were doing sort of very innovative, creative things in their classroom and really making race an explicit part of their curriculum. And, and for us, uh, the the idea for the study really came out of our own kind of development as teachers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I grew up in a predominantly white working class suburb of Springfield, Massachusetts. And, and I, um, I, I, I lived essentially on the border, on the other side of the river from Springfield. And uh, as a kid, I'd go to my all white elementary school and then, you know, when I'd go to the park, or go to the library, I'd, I'd cross the border into Springfield um, and be in a very racially diverse space. And then so from a very early age, I was thinking about being a white person and, and what that means in a world where not everybody is white. And then when I got to college, I started some of my um, first experiences in schools were in predominantly Latino contexts at a vocational high school in Holyoke. And and there I started to really kind of think about my whiteness and started thinking about um, how do we teach race and how do how do different teachers teach about race and how do I make the curriculum to kind of, you know, help all my students kind of learn about their history and learn about uh, the current world. So and you've written a few articles about this that I think we'll, we'll make sure we link into the, the show notes. too. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, I'm talking about my own experiences as a teacher from beginning from being a student teacher to the present day and and in some of my kind of action research work yeah earlier dan when you were saying you were a second year sociology teacher trying to teach about race and not really knowing what to do i had the exact same experience i went to a a very homogeneous school a very rural homogeneous high school very homogeneous college and then i moved out to boston and started teaching at a very diverse public school and I was like, realize these kids are hungry, starving to learn about race and racial implications that are really impactful today. But how do I even go about doing this? I'm a white woman. I'm young. I don't know what to do. And I took a bunch of professional development classes growing up African-American, growing up Latino, studied a lot so that I could be able to do this. So Chris and I had sort of these own moments of development where I was had these moments where I was a second year teacher and I was like, how am I going to teach white privilege? And, and by our own journeys to become so-called race conscious teachers, we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to study how other people get there and develop that and then what they do and what those models look like. And, you know, as as part of this uh, particular study, um, like the larger study, we actually did dive deeper into the, the participants backgrounds. We found that their own personal biographies had a, a lot to do with their development mm-hmm. towards a race conscious perspective. And um, we actually have another paper that's a different article we wrote. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, that, that kind of looked at that because we were thinking so much about how we developed as teachers. So we just got a spoiler on the visions of education podcast. So now nice. that, <laughs> yeah. you heard it here. So you divided up your, your, uh, your 10 teachers into two categories. Do you mind talking a little bit about 
the categories in, in what they mean? Yeah, so um, we, we from the 10 teachers, we really saw a pretty stark difference between those who were tolerance-oriented and those who were equity-oriented. And when we say tolerance-oriented, we mean teachers who focus much more on kind of individualized racism, individual acts of racism, um, and how kind of individuals try to change or stop racism. Whereas the the equity-oriented teachers were much more likely to focus on kind of structural inequities in our society, um, how racism is a symptom for a larger kind of race inequity in our society. Um, and, and we saw that how they kind of viewed race and racism and their beliefs on race and racism actually ended up kind of changing their practices mm. around what they did in their classroom. So teachers who were tolerance oriented were much more likely to be trying to help their students um, not do individual acts of racism, to kind of question prejudice, which is certainly very important. Um, but we, and in some ways in this paper, emphasize the need for equity oriented teaching. So to look at larger social structures that cause racism and cause racial inequity. We really wanted to sort of emphasize this as a spectrum too. You're not necessarily only a tolerance oriented or only equity teacher, but what we've loved, while we think both approaches are really important, we'd like to see people move towards the equity approach where you're talking about race as a system rather than individual acts of prejudice. And those types of lessons were really impressive when we got to see them and, and observe the teachers. For example, one teacher was looking at the modern day prison system and the racial inequity in the prison system. We saw other sort of examples of teachers really teaching race as a structure rather than just trying to maybe diversify their curriculum or teach about, again, as Chris said, individual acts of prejudice. Yeah, I think I think one of the uh, the downsides we saw from some of the kind of tolerance oriented teachers was that they were by overly focusing on individual acts, they weren't helping their students see that there are these much deeper reasons for why prejudice exists, and that it isn't just happenstance or it isn't just racial differences. That it's really kind of part of a larger system. It's almost like step one is to start diversifying the curriculum. As you said, slavery is not being taught till January. That's very problematic. Let's actually include race explicitly and as much as we can when it's not actually outlined in the textbook. And then, then when we get further in our development of a race conscious teacher, then we can start looking at the systematic advantages of race and then really teaching as a system, which empower students to challenge racial injustice and sort of a racial inequity today. So I had an assignment that I did when I taught um, sociology, but I think I worked it into a few different classes. And I think this actually came out of like Holocaust and genocide studies. And what I had students do is they would write, make a line uh, vertically down the center of the paper and then horizontally down the center of the paper. And I had them write at the top of each one. Um, uh, perpetrator, victim, bystander, and upstander. And so then what we would do is we'd pick a topic. And so race is often the most serious, you know, the one that I think takes the most kind of for people to work through. Um, although sexism, you know, um, uh, disability discrimination, language, linguistic discrimination, there's lots of topics we could get into. But we had said, then we'd say our topic is race. And I'd ask them to think about it from each of those perspectives, a situation where they reach. Um, and I, that's obviously, I think, a 
is that an example of kind of a tolerance oriented approach um, initially because it's looking at just individual components of their life. Um, although I'll say when we would have the discussions, po how power played into it obviously came into discussion a lot of times about why like racism towards me, like an individual act of like racism, if you even call it that towards me as a white person, didn't have the same power and inequity as towards um, somebody who was, you know, historically oppressed. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good example. And I think the answer to your question of which one was it is that it depends, right? So when our tolerance-oriented teachers would approach it, they pretty much ended at, okay, here are these moments where these different things happened and maybe connected to discrimination or, and then and in some ways even, they might almost touch on the edges of kind of a structural problem but they would then present like Martin Luther King as an individual who helped change this as opposed to kind of a movement of people who are fighting the structural problem. Whereas the equity oriented teachers would be much more likely to say, OK, so how did we get here? How, how did we did this? Where did this start? Did it start? And this is why it's so problematic what you're seeing at the beginning of the show that you know, slavery's not mentioned the Texas teacher content standards or like Michael was saying about like, uh, we're only getting slavery mid-year in here in Massachusetts. I totally understand that phenomenon. Mm -hmm. When in all of these teachers, whether they're equity oriented or tolerance oriented, uh, every single unit, they needed to discuss how race was a part of that period. And if they're doing a, kind of a more current events-based course, like government or sociology, Every single unit, even if it's a unit on, say, gender and sociology, is talking about kind of the intersection between race and gender. And, and, and you know, always kind of looking at it through those lenses. And, and so I think when it gets down to it, um, the thing that kind of gets dropped by the tolerance-oriented teachers is um, their, their kind of overemphasis on the individual forgets that these individuals are they're not individual actors, you know. Do you have some good examples of some lessons or activities you saw teachers did that just really were impressive and, and are the types of things that um, can serve as good examples? Yeah. So uh, one, this one teacher, Maria, um, who taught in a middle school, um, it was actually a predominantly black middle school, and um, she had to teach a civics course, and she was an equity-oriented teacher. And so, um, so the first part, you know, that probably most of the teachers in this study would have done is that she said, you know what, like I got to teach search and seizures. We, we have this unit on searches and seizures. So I'm going to make sure that we're talking about kind of the intersection between how the police use searches and seizures and, and what communities those searches and seizures are more common in, how they might get applied differently. Uh, let's look at some statistics around that. And then she really kind of took it in a very sophisticated way with the, the seventh grade she's working with to, to kind of look even deeper and then how do we get here you know so was the constitution a document that was written with racial equity in mind or not you know and like who wrote it and the bill of rights like who who's left in who's left out um and, and you know that kind of made me think of another teacher there's this other teacher huey who who worked in a predominantly white suburban high school um and he was a, a black teacher and and he said you know what i am going to do my whole curriculum around freedom I'm going to organize it around freedom. He's an equity-oriented teacher. And it's all going to be all about who does society let have freedom and who doesn't and how does that vary. And, and, and these two teachers in mind were kind of the prime examples mm. of like the way you could structure 
I think Maria was the way you can structure a unit or a lesson to be equity focused. And for Huey is how you could structure a whole class or a curriculum around equity. And the lesson I spoke of earlier, our participant Betty did about the racial inequity in the prison system. She did a carousel where she had stats about the current U.S. prison system. And the kids were really surprised about the racial discrepancy. They didn't think about that. But then she used that as a starting off point to say, uh, as some of the other teachers are saying, how did we get here? And how does the institution of slavery, how is it reflecting itself in 2016 and, and now 2018? How has that legacy carried? How has that gone on? So the fact that these they're looking at issues today of systematic racism and, and then drawing on the historical context that really makes it an equity lesson. But when I watched that lesson, I saw the kids' faces when they were looking at those stats it was very, very impressive. You could see sort of them becoming woke. And then on top of that, she takes the lesson and then brings it back to the historical context, which, as Martel said, some of those teachers that he watched did the exact same thing. So, And I think we often have trouble, you know, even being honest about the roots of the United States and the U.S. <laughs> Constitution and everything. And I remember when I first read, like, that William Lloyd Garrison called the Constitution, a pact with the devil because of how slavery was upheld in it. And then learning as a government teacher how the Constitution, how little it had to do with equality at all, that really the Declaration said it, but that wasn't, you know, built into the, our system of laws. And it really was the Reconstruction Amendments that built, you know, equality into our system in some legal sense. And so once you start thinking of that, it, it's not hard to help teach students that, you know, white supremacist views were built into the constitution and it's mm -hmm. that's not really a debatable point of view but i remember never hearing anyone say that and that helped me not that made it so i didn't really understand the constitution until i was like in my fourth year of teaching and i was like oh you know i put it all together and started realizing how we can talk about race historically as a systemic issue that was there from the beginning oh dan's light bulb moment <laughs> <laughs> that's my way no that's my uh uh, what's the other thing you always say? <laughs> My radioactive spider bite. <laughs> Michael liked to say that in a lot of episodes. So what advice do you have for uh, for classroom teachers or for professors to um, teach in a more equitable way? I would say first, don't be afraid to do that. I'm, uh, if you're a white teacher teaching in a really racially diverse setting, or if you're a teacher of color, teaching in a really white setting, don't be afraid to ad address issues of race. What I've seen and what I've done from research is that students are hungry for this. They want to talk about these issues. They want to explore this stuff. They just need someone to help facilitate that process. And then I, we really would love to see more professional development around this. We'd like to see teacher prep programs have courses dedicating to how to teach about race and become a race conscientious teacher and how students who are who want to be teachers pre-service teachers can acknowledge their own bias and how what biases they bring into the classroom we'd love to see professional development in schools around um, teaching race reading articles like that we've been working on and and going to seminars about that. The classes I took called Growing Up African American and Growing Up Latino were instrumental in helping me sort of understand how to teach about race. So I guess what I'd say, don't be afraid and jump in and then really start leaning on supports, whether it's 
the university you went to or your fellow teachers who do this or experts that come in to your school and help with this, I think is really important. Yeah, I don't think we can only rely on teacher prep programs and professional <laughs> development, right? Especially those social studies folks yeah. in, in the room know, like, uh, there's a lot of dramatic differences between teacher prep programs and professional development is yeah. somewhat non-existent. So that's a start. And then we think this really is kind of more of a grassroots mm. movement where teachers in their buildings working with, you know, their their colleagues mm. can, can be doing this work and can be challenging each other as kind of critical friends. Um, I think that's really important um, and, and kind of when you're looking at your, your midterm exam that you were just talking about, Michael, you know, what are the questions we're asking on it? Are they mostly your kind of like, who is the first president questions? Or are they questions about uh, equity and, and particularly race? Um, when you're, you know, sharing lesson plans with your colleagues, um, are you saying like, when we do World War II, do we tell everyone's experience of World War II or, or just, you know, one particular group, usually you know, white men? Um, I think in, in some ways too, it, it really, it takes us to kind of teach in spite of some of the standards that are out there as we kind of started with like they're they're you know state standards are usually political documents and they have numerous different groups that are inputting what they want to see in there um but the way teachers address those standards can be in more of a race conscious way you know the way they you know when you're teaching the civil war you can make it seem like there are only white people involved in it or you could teach it about uh, primarily the black struggle and and liberation and ending slavery. So I think that's really important. It was really important to Chris and I too to study teachers who are currently working in the field. We really wanted, Chris called it a grassroots movement, we really wanted to hear from the voices inside the schools and the people who are actually currently doing the work. I, I felt like that was a really significant part of our studies and the work we do because we really want it to be something tangible and real that teachers can do. So we had first year teachers in our study and we had 20 year teachers in our studies and they were people who were doing the work currently and really thinking about these issues of being a race conscious teacher. So as I talk about, we'd love to see teacher preps programs do this and we'd love to see professional development. That's not as, that's more idealistic, I would mm -hmm. say, Chris, than actually getting the teachers who are doing this and getting their stories and the way they work out there to the public so they can emulate those practices. But I will add, just <laughs> like you were saying, there were several teachers in the study who said, my teacher prep program was super important in this. It, it kind of focused on it. Or I recently did this professional development. It really changed my thinking or mm -hmm. changed my approach. So, Or maybe people could listen to uh, this podcast on loop <laughs> until they know how to teach about race. Um, <laughs> And then go to your article. Right. And, 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 and probably the numerous other articles that you'll be interviewing. You, yeah. know, as there, you know, I think in, in the field of social studies in general, this is, you know, I, I think we're really gifted in that. Like we're one of now many researchers mm -hmm. in social studies who are doing this work. And I think it's it's really important to, to note that. And um, and podcasts like these are awesome because I will be honest, like a lot of classroom teachers aren't reading theory and research and social education, but they're probably hopefully listening to your podcast and going, oh, yeah, and I think I heard there's a free uh, TRSC, yeah, anyone an NCSS member can download this article for free until March, which Ooh. I think is a real thing, um, <laughs> and they'll, they'll, they'll read it because we, we, wanna, we, we, we wanna do research that 
a university professor can read and go, hmm, this is how I'm going to change my teacher education right. courses, and how a classroom teacher can read and go, oh, this made me think of this different idea. Maybe I'll approach it this way. We really want our research to be accessible to classroom teachers, that they feel like they can get something from reading the article that they can use in their classroom or think about the way they structure their curriculum or their lesson planning. Well, as a Frigitarian um, who consumes anything free, I will read your article that is open <laughs> accessible until March. So everyone get on it. <laughs> so we would like to thank you guys so much for, for coming and talking with us today. Um, so thank you so much, Chris and Kayleen, for chatting with us today. Oh, uh, no, it was a pleasure. Thank you guys. We really enjoyed this. And we really enjoyed you. Well, thank <laughs> you. Can, can you two tell us where our listeners can find you and your work online? Uh, yeah. So I, first of all, uh, theory and research in social education, uh, we've published in other social studies research journals and teacher education research journals. You can probably just Google both of our names. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have like a BU profile that kind of lists all of our articles and Google them. And you're also anyone out there in, in uh, cyber land is welcome to email me and I'll, I'll send you an article so that you're interested in. Well, we will make sure to get those links and emails in the show notes. So again, thank you two so much for joining us today. And we certainly do hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces. At the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun and creative in education, or you just want to chat, tweet us at Visions of Ed. And if you haven't already, and really, why haven't you? Subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, in anywhere you want us to be. And if you write us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. It helps people find this podcast, so please do it. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off.